before you. All right, am I good? Yeah, I think you're, no, you're not good. You're great. Awesome. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the second Thursday of the month, which means it's time for Vegan Doc Talk with Dr. Scott Harrington. And today he's going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, poop. Let's face it, guys, everybody poops. I even have a book that actually is titled Everybody Poops. And here with the scoop on your poop, Dr. Scott Harrington. So good to see you again in such a fun topic. Hey, Chef AJ. Hey, thanks for having me on again. I just feel so lucky to be here. Uh, I, I, um, I was just on the holistic holiday at sea, you know, the vegan cruise, and I gave a talk called Bow Talk, and uh, it, it, everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. So I thought I'd bring it out again today, dust it off and, and go over it again, because it's, I think it's fun uh, talking about poop. It's one of my favorite topics. I love it too. And people get so embarrassed about it, but it's like, it's everybody, not just everybody poops, every species poops, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I heard about you on Holistic Holidays. See, I heard you were doing something called Aqua Zumba. Tell us about that. That sounds really fun. Well, you know, I mean, there was uh, there was lots of folks doing exercise and stuff. So I thought I'd try some different things. And uh, oh, my God, Aqua Zumba was so much fun. Uh, it, I think it was, uh, there's a, a nice lady called Gigi or that's what she goes by. And she gave a great Zumba class. And uh, and then she did an Aqua Zumba class. And and, you know, we should, I just feel like we should all be doing Zumba because it's exercise. You don't feel like you're exercising and you're having fun at the same time. And so were you doing it like in the shallow end of the pool? Well, this, uh, this class, it didn't have a shallow end of the pool. And it was, uh, we were doing that. We were doing these Zumba moves and we had a, like, uh, we were floating with oh, a, floating, floating. Oh, that sounds so much fun. That sounds amazing. And it was kind of funny because the boat was rocking and we were in the pool. And so it was like, whoosh. It was kind of like a wave pool plus Zumba. I don't know. It was it was fun. Well, Randy, who's watching live, said that she and uh, Carol were in the hot tub with you. So do tell. <laughs> oh, nice. Nothing scandalous. Nothing scandalous going on. But God, you got a hot tub. Come I'm on. curious because uh, did there's people from all over the world on that ship. Did anybody mistake you from for Tom Cruise? <laughs> Tom Cruise. I get that. Some people say I look like Tom Cruise, which of course I'm flattered. Uh, you know, uh, me and Tom Cruise have no relationship, uh, but um, that's really sweet of you, uh, Chef AJ. But um, no, no, no relationship. That's so great. Well, thank you. So this is great. I, I love this topic. I actually hosted twice a GI Health Summit. So I love to learn about this topic because so many people uh, struggle with either too much or too little of this. I know. I, I guess the you know the basic uh, the bottom line up front is we got to up our numbers. We got to be pooping like champs. We got to be having a huge volcano of poop every day. And uh, you wouldn't believe all the uh, health benefits. This was one of the things that uh, I experienced on the holistic holiday at sea because there was a lot of buffet meals and they had healthy buffet meals. They had like a lot of whole grains and a lot of just mounds and mounds of greens. And so I ate more of the whole grains and greens and stuff than I probably normally do. And I felt great. I felt, uh, I didn't feel hungry. I felt really satisfied all the time. And I had huge poops. Yeah. <laughs> well, well who, who was it? Was it Dr. Dennis Bergen who said, if you have small poops, you need large hospitals, something like that? I love it. Yeah. And some of Dr. Burkett's uh, uh, studies are some that I reference here today in our little talk. 
Yep. Well, great. You know, I, I, I think about, I haven't had television for five years, but I remember a commercial that used to say normal is what's normal for you. And it is not normal. These people that are having a ball movement, like once a week, that is not normal guys. Wow. Yeah. You know, they talk about the three by three, uh, it's the range of normal, uh, one poop, uh, uh, poop three times a week or up to three times per day. But also in this range of normal studies, they were finding people like straining and having abdominal pain and gas and bloating and stuff. And they considered all that normal. So, but the concept is, uh, you know, the more, the more you go, the larger the stools and everything that you can avoid all those symptoms. The more, the merrier. Okay. Well, I love your talk, so I can't wait to watch it. All right. All right. So I guess here, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And I'm going to hit play. And then Chef AJ, if you will kindly let me know if That's it's all good Perfect to go. mode. Yep. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So yeah, this is me. I'm Dr. Harrington. I have a practice called Vegan Primary Care. I, I've been vegan since 2012. And I just carry that on with my patients uh, who are vegan and plant-based. Uh, if you want a doctor who also is plant-based, just like you, you can have me as your primary care doctor in 28 states. And you can be at home and not have to commute to see your doctor. So here's the map. We just lost Montana. I'm sorry, Montana. Man, Montana vegans, we, it, was, it was low uh, on the census, so we lost Montana, but still in 28 states. So if you're any one of these states, I could be your doctor. We take insurance, Aetna, Cigna, TRICARE, and Medicare. All right. I just so you know a little bit about my practice. I have a free meeting, a group meeting, a weight loss meeting called the Get to Your Goal Weight Loss Meeting at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. So, uh, and here it is. Here's the bowel talk. Everything you wanted to know about healthy elimination. Also called, aka the scoop on your poop, stool school number two, and you turd talk and a crap course. Here we go. How to op we're going to talk about how to optimize your bowel health and how to foster a healthy microbiome. Why are we going to talk about this? Well, bowel disease is very common. And, you know, people have diverticulosis and hemorrhoids, and it's just one of the most common causes for going to see the doctor nowadays. Abdominal pain made up in 2014, abdominal pain made up 8.5 million office visits. And so you can see down the line that these are all very common, constipation, colon cancer. So why do we wanna maximize our, and optimize our bowel health is because we wanna prevent colon cancer. It's the third leading cause of cancer in both sexes. Uh, so prostate and breast are for men and women the second, but if you, put it, if you put colon cancer together, it would really be number two most leading cause of cancer death. So. How can we use our diet and lifestyle to avoid colon cancer? Well, uh, in a, in a meta-analysis for 2017, they found that for every 90 grams of whole grains or two servings of whole grains, you decrease your uh, colon cancer risk by 17%. And there are other factors like avoiding meat and processed meats, uh, red meat and processed meats, alcohol, smoking, getting less sedentary and having healthy body weight and increasing your fruits and vegetables, vitamin D, all, there was lots of factors, lots of factors, but the one that really stood out was fiber. 
especially from whole grains. So real quick, we're going to talk some about some basic benefits of fiber. Lowers the risk of common bowel disease, such as colon cancer, diverticulosis, hemorrhoids. Improves bulk, and so it makes you feel full. So it can cause weight loss. Helps to pass cholesterol. Uh, the bile uh, that is composed of cholesterol gets passed, and certain uh, fibers will cling to it and help you pass it in the stool. So decreasing your risk for heart disease. Slowing the absorption of sugar and decreasing blood sugar spikes and therefore improving diabetes. Also, in the bile acids, you can pass hormones. You can pass hormones. And so it can actually lower your risk of breast cancer by passing estrogen by having increased fiber. Every 10 grams of fiber in population studies decrease the risk of breast cancer by 4%. That was pretty impressive. By decreasing the transit time of your stool, you're decreasing the exposure of your colon wall to toxins. And we're going to talk about the microbiome. Fiber is key for having a healthy microbiome. So what's the status? The standard American diet, what's the status in America? We eat a very low fiber diet. And the idea is that we are consuming modern Franken food. We're taking corn and we're grinding it up into, you know, corn meal and we're Turn it into to chips and, and tortillas and and or we're popping it and we're basically we are we are changing our food and removing the fiber and removing this important nutrient. And one of the best ways to kind of look at this is Brenda Davis, my one of my favorite plant-based dietitians, Brenda Davis, her whole grain hierarchy. I really like to whip this out a lot with my patients to talk about the whole grain hierarchy. Cause when I saw this, you know, you always hear about whole grains, Oh, whole grains are good, but eh, bread is okay. You know, what about, well, when you look at this, you see whole grain, whole intact grains up at the top, like quinoa and barley. Uh, and then as it gets further and further processed, it goes down. Now folks, uh, things that are high on the whole grain hierarchy uh, will keep you full and will be slowly absorbed and uh, hard to harder to digest. And food that's on the lower end of the whole grain hierarchy are quickly absorbed, quickly digested and absorbed because of the lack of fiber and the small particle size. So for instance, uh, puffed wheat or popcorn and things like this, really low particle size. I don't know about you, but when I eat this kind of stuff, it kind of makes me feel bad. And I never really understood why, but this is, this is one of the reasons. And flaked, flaked grains where you take the grain, you grind it down and you wet it and then you dry it into flakes, highly processed, you have insulin spikes and this kind of thing. So we shouldn't be eating, you know, flakes for breakfast. We should be eating whole grains. Don't send our kids off with, you know, a cereal breakfast, send them off with a whole grain breakfast. Okay, we're gonna have a quick poop break, quick poop break. I had a lot of people ask me about the squatty potty, about what, what do you think about the squatty potty? I like the squat, uh, you know, full disclosure. I have, you know, I bought a squatty potty too, but do we actually need the squatty potty? And the concept is, no, all you have to really do is you just kind of have to lean over, lean over and you can do the thinker position and you can open up that angle uh, for the rectum to have sort of a more straighter um, opening for the stool to come out. So not necessary for the squatty potty. Many people say it's helpful for them, but you can also assume the thinker position. 
Okay, here we go. We're getting really into it. Now we're going to go over all the poop factors that you ever wanted to know about. How to optimize your bowel movements. How to have the perfect BM where speed, size, speed, and softness come together for the perfectly smooth and satisfying bowel movement. Easy to learn, lifetime to master. Okay, so what's the concept? We're going to talk about fecal size, the weight of the stool, how fast it comes out, and the consistency of the stool. So how these factors affect our, our bowels. First and foremost, we're going to talk about size and the weight, the mass of the stool. So this is the, I, this was one of the things, oh, this wasn't the Burkitt one. This is uh, from Cummings as uh, a different, different study, but they did a meta-analysis, I believe, of populations and their uh, incidence of colon cancer. Uh, and they, they reviewed these, um, the size of the stool and the colon cancer incidence. And so look at this line going straight down. The, basically, the larger the stool in that population, the lower the cancer incidence. So when I saw this, it just like smacked me in the face. We need to be really upping our numbers. We need to be upping our numbers. So you see there on, the, on this, on this uh, line, 245, about 225 is about a half pound, half pound of stool. So we want to even, we want to shoot for a half pound or more of stool. All right. So that's the goal per day. So you can increase this stool mass with, uh, with fiber, fiber. And so there's insoluble and soluble fibers, but you don't have to worry too much about whether you're getting enough soluble or insoluble fibers because most foods have both. Um, but this was, I believe this was a study commissioned by Kellogg's, believe it or not. This was, this is industry studies. And uh, what we have right here is that uh, soluble fibers, will, uh, insoluble fibers will increase uh, the bulk at a larger rate. And so if you look at this graph, potentially 10 grams of fiber is a little less than 40 grams of stool. And so, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Direct correlation there. Okay. So how are we going to measure our weight of the stool? Well, you can actually do this yourself. You can do it at home, folks. And I'm not talking about putting it in a paper cup and weighing it on, the <laughs> on your scale. What I mean is that you can simply set your, uh, your normal scale. Most scales now are digital. And you set it for uh, kilograms instead of pounds. Uh, if you're in the United States, because we're still on the imperial system. <laughs> and then you just pee first, then weigh yourself. So you get your without pee weight, then you have a bowel movement, and then re-weigh yourself and you can subtract the difference and see how large your stool was. So take the heavyweight stool challenge and try to get about a half pound of stool, Get eat enough fiber so you're getting about a half pound of stool per, per bowel movement. Okay, so you can try to guesstimate this. You can try to guesstimate this just by looking at the size of your stool. Uh, although this is not a very scientific method, but about a medium pear, somewhere between a medium pear and a mango. Medium mango is what you're trying to go for, for size of the stool. Okay, so next is speed. So we talked about weight and size. Now we're going to talk about speed of the stool. So how did they study this? They used to give people these kind of metallic 
or radio opaque, they call it, metallic BBs, and they would do x-rays and they would watch to see how long it would take. And in this study, they showed that non-vegetarians had slower stool transit and vegetarians had higher, faster stool transit, a little bit more than one day, almost two days, but you can do this at home. You can do this at home and you can do the beet challenge. You can uh, take some beets or you can eat a pretty large corn meal or you could eat a very large quinoa meal and you'll, you'll see residue of, the, of these in the stool. You could do your own oral anal transit time test. All right. So how do the numbers go? How do the numbers, what, how are other people, what's their stool transit time? So this was, this was a study by Burkett, Burkett, famous uh, Dr. Burkett. Uh, he studied the uh, weight of the stool versus the transit time on, in Africa in this British boarding school versus Africans who were attending the boarding school and eating a mixed diet. This is in the yellow. And then the African villagers who are eating a high residue, high fiber diet. And they had folks in the high residue group that were passing bowel movements almost 24, that had a stool transit time of almost 24 hours. And they were having bowel movements close to a pound of stool per day. So it, it has this, it's not exactly linear, but so I guess more of like a logarithmic type of, um, or hyperbolic, however you say it, uh, line there. Okay, so we've talked about speed. We've talked about mass. Let's talk about stool consistency. And you may have seen this in the past, this Bristol stool scale. Obviously, we don't want uh, rabbit poop, you know, like hard pellets. You know, it's a bad day when you're having hard pellets. Um, we don't want a torpedo or, you know, lumpy stool. We want the type four, the large soft sausage or snake. That's what we want. Um, and then as it starts to get more and more loose and, uh, and um, the consistency changes to kind of fluffy, this is kind of more like... Um, more diarrhea-like. But uh, the goal is to have a huge, large stool volcano of soft serve type stool. And how did they study this? So how did they study this, uh, the consistency and which consistency was better and why? And this is kind of weird. In this study, they actually had, they placed things in the rectum and then have the participants try to pass them and would measure how fast they could, they could pass the stool. And so they had silicone rubber, like fake stool. Then they had a bag of beads or loose beads. And the concept was, was that the, with a large silicone rubber stool, they were able to pass it really quickly, didn't create cause much pressure in the stool, in the rectum. But um, the bag of beads and the loose beads, the body really had to squeeze down and strain, had to strain to pass these. And so why is this important? And this is important I, for this analogy. So I like the toothpaste tube analogy. With a toothpaste tube, a new thing of toothpaste, you just put a tiny bit of pressure on the toothpaste tube and the toothpaste comes out really readily, really easily. And you gotta be careful, you can't press it too hard, it'll all squeeze out. So it's with the, with the nice formed, large bulky stool, your, your body doesn't have to strain, it just comes out effortlessly. But if you imagine the toothpaste tube that's kind of already empty, you're having to strain and squeeze and really press it out to try to get uh, the, resi the final residue out 
of the toothpaste tube. And I think this is a good analogy for uh, the colon. So if you imagine increased pressures and, and problems with diverticulosis, uh, hemorrhoids, straining, this is, this is bad. We want to have a nice soft stool that comes out almost faster than we can um, urinate effortlessly and fast. Okay, so here is it all together. We've got fiber, frequency, transit time, weight, and softness. And this is omnivores, vegetarians, and vegans in, this, in these studies compared. So the vegans had the highest fiber content per 24 hours, uh, close to 50 grams. And I think that's a really good goal. You're trying to shoot for 50 grams, at least. It's totally doable on a plant-based diet. Um, try to, the goal is to have one, if not more bowel movements a day. Uh, oftentimes having two bowel movements a day uh, with, with one to two days of transit time, large stools, about a, a half pound of stool, that's really soft. Okay, so there's, but wait, there's more. Okay, so what's the recommended dietary fiber intake? 14 grams per thousand kilocals, per thousand cows. And that equals to about 28 grams for women or 36 grams for men based on their recommended caloric or generic caloric intake. Uh, but on average, we're only in the United States, we're only getting about half of our dietary recommended daily intake. So fiber, when you get, when you start, one of the reasons why fiber, we haven't heard so much about fiber and these other macros were, got more uh, press earlier on is that fiber is very confusing and there's all sorts of different types of plants and they all have slightly different kind of fiber makeup. And it, it clouded, I, I think, the uh, sort of scientific process where you're trying to have one variable and one you know, outcome that you're trying to study. Because when you start looking at fiber, the, con the concept is actually very complex. You've got insoluble fibers. And these are the things like the, um, on the cell walls. And here's three examples, this lignin, hemicellulose, and cellulose. So you can have different breakdowns of these. And then there's the soluble fibers, uh, water-soluble and fermentable fibers. These pass through your small intestine. They don't get absorbed, but they get absorbed, they get processed in the colon by your colonic bacteria, your microbiome, and they give you additional nutrients. And this is funny, pectin or gels, gums and mucilages like slimes and glues, okra, flax, and aloe, this slippery and slimy and the congealed aspect of, of the fibers stay in the soft small intestines, make it down to the colon and feed your good bugs down there. All right, so an example of soluble fiber, something that has a lot of soluble fiber example is pectin in apples. Uh, and this uh, soluble fibers also will cling on to cholesterol and other bile acids and help you pass them. And uh, they slow digestion to decrease insulin spikes. So if you wanted to kind of see some differences among the various fruit, for instance, about insoluble and soluble fibers, this is just an example. Basically, they're often made up of both. Apple just tends to have a lot of soluble fibers. Um, I don't want you to spend a lot of time on this, but you can see that uh, kiwis, kiwis made it on the front of uh, Will Bolsewicz's, his, his uh, 
um, book, Fiber Fueled, I think, because it has uh, lots of fiber and it has also some special properties that help retain water in the stool. Um, but uh, when you look at other foods, so uh, classes of foods, you can see that nuts and seeds, they have a lot of both. Uh, this is per 100 grams. So if you ate 100 grams of seeds, that's a lot. But uh, then you see here in the grains, the grains have a lot of insoluble fibers in comparison to soluble fibers. But take a look at uh, rice, rice, white, this is white rice. Look how much, how low the fiber is in white rice compared to those whole grains, whole grain wheat. And look at beans, beans are a, uh, a huge fiber win. Beans and grains, huge. You don't need to worry too much about soluble fiber and insoluble fiber because most foods have, have them together. This is the main, main point of this slide here. Okay, poop break. This is poop break number two. What is this? This does any I, I was asking the, the group about what this was, and this is the first poop emoji. This is the first poop emoji. This was made in 1997 by the, the company that later became Vodafone. And I sometimes joke with my patients that you know the poop emoji looks like a soft serve pile of soft serve. And I was joking around that if it was made in the United States, the poop emoji would look like a torpedo and not soft serve. So there we go. Speaking of poop emojis, when we're talking about fiber, types of fiber is just the tip of the poop bird because the more we learn about fiber, the more beneficial things we learn about it is just mind boggling, mind boggling because there's different types of plants, different types of fibers, different constituents of fibers. And then there's different microbes in your gut that are, that are eating them. And you want to have a diversity of fibers. So if you find yourself with a constricted palate, liking to eat the same small amount of foods every day, small variety of foods, the goal is to try to expand your palate to have a healthier microbiome. So Microbiome is a hot topic. You probably have seen lots of other uh, speakers talk about this uh, on, on, on Chef AJ. But we know we have more than 10 times the microbes than we have human cells. And if we take care of them, they will take care of us. Uh, they're in all around our body, on mouth, skin, nose, vagina. They, 60, for instance, in the, in the colon, 60% of the stool is made up of bacteria, 60% of the stool weight, which kind of boggles my mind. And the microbiome, one of the things that it does is it will convert the fiber, especially the soluble fibers that we eat into special compounds called short chain fatty acids that ends up being helpful for us. So why am I so fired up about the microbiome and hearing about this? Well, normally, you know, hearing about fiber, it kind of seems like it's pretty basic, like, okay, it makes you, you know, makes you have makes you poop, makes you not constipated. But what we're learning is that all these special properties, uh, for instance, fecal transplants, transplanting uh, the, the, the stool from a healthy person to a sick person is now the gold standard of care for severe C. difficile colitis. And so it's now the gold standard. And that having a low diversity in your microbiome is associated with obesity and autism and schizophrenia and ulcerative colitis. 
and on and on. I mean, you keep looking at it, it gets it it gets very impressive. One of the things that really helped me understand the importance of the microbiome and the anti-inflammatory effect of short-chain fatty acids is the concept of pouchitis. And this concept is the idea of that when someone has to get a colostomy because they've had a bowel injury or they were shot, you know, I'm in the military, I've seen this a lot where people had an abdominal gunshot wound and they've had to allow the um, abdomen to cool down and um, wash it out. And what they do is they attach the, the colon wall or, or the bowel wall to the, um, to the wall and create a colostomy bag. And then they have a blind pouch. They have, a, they have like the rectum is not attached to the fecal stream. And what they're doing is they're allowing the um, infection to be healed and go away. And then when they can do surgery again to reattach this at a later time, once you're all healed from your initial trauma. But what ends up happening is this concept of pouchitis without the fecal stream and without these short chain fatty acids going through the bowel, it creates an inflammatory situation. And a lot of times people will get inflamed and have uh, hideous problems related to the lack of the fecal stream, the lack of these short chain fatty acids. So when you get really deep into it, they have done studies on mice and they found where they could put a, a, a a normal weight mouse's biome in an obese mouse and the obese mouse would lose weight. And, they, and, the, and the other way around, obese mouse stool into a normal weight mouse and they would gain weight. And then they had the personality test with mice. They had a bold mouse or a timid mouse and they switched their microbiome and it changed the mouse's behaviors, which I mean, the more I hear about this, it's just making my mind explode. So there's also this idea of enterotype. Uh, there is this concept of the two wolves. There's a, there's a concept of the two wolves and there's the good wolf and the bad wolf that's living inside your psyche. And the, the child says, dad, which, which wolf will win? Which one will overcome? And the dad says, Son, it's this, it's the wolf that you feed. And so this is the concept here with the bacteria in your gut. Which one of these bacteria will, will win? And so here we have this uh, concept of enterotype. If you feed, uh, your, your fecal stream is composed a lot of carbohydrates and fiber, the carbohydrates and fiber loving bacteria will, will proliferate. And if you feed your gut and the fecal stream, high fat and high animal protein diet, other microbes that resist uh, high bile acids and, and this kind of thing, they will pro proliferate. And what we found so far is that the ones that are the fiber loving uh, bacteria, specifically ones like Prevotella are healthful. And uh, some of these uh, like bacteroides are, are less healthful or potentially harmful. And, and so, you know, I am not an expert in this concept it is getting more and more complicated and there's lots of lots of different bacterial types. So to boil it down in this simple, simple of a way is too simplified, honestly, but this is the concept of trying to improve your Prevotella, uh, Prevotella uh, ratio. Uh, so for here, here's an example. Uh, plant-based diet increasing Prevotella bacteria that ferment starch. And so the, the higher the starch diet, the more the Prevotella, which are helpful bacteria.
Okay, just a few more on the microbiome. The short chain fatty acids come from indigestible fibers that make it past the, uh, the, the small intestines into the colon. The microbes will digest them and turn them into short chain fatty acids, acetate, propionate, and butyrate. And they feed the lining of the colon. And this is one of the reasons why the pouchitis happens if you have a blind loop. And then so as the short chain fatty acids make it into the bloodstream, they have other effects. They have effects on the brain and the GI tract and, and the liver, pancreas, and fatty tissue and the immune system. So having a high fiber diet will basically decrease inflammation, reduce incidence of asthma. It has a protective effect for cancer, uh, helps reduce the incidence of diabetes, and uh, it can also help with the, with the memory. There's um, factors that will decrease basically stress on the brain. So it's very, very impressive. And the more we find out, the more interesting it is. It can work in the reverse. It can work in the reverse. If the fecal stream that you're feeding your microbiome is high in animal proteins and fat, you can, the, uh, the microbiome can be uh, evolved to treat and eat choline. So if you're eating a high choline diet and your body will transform the choline into trimethylamine, and then trimethylamine gets absorbed and turned into an inflammatory compound called trimethylamine oxide. So it kind of works in, in reverse. So there's Provitella and the starch-based eating microbes, and then there's the microbes that create uh, TMA. And uh, But what's very interesting, if you are vegan and you have not fostered these bacteria, if for some reason you eat a, uh, a, a choline-rich meal, uh, like for some reason you had to eat uh, some meat or something, then you would not actually produce this TMA. And so that is very interesting. Okay, few more slides on the microbiome. Here's the idea that when we take antibiotics, we disrupt our microbiome. And this data right here is not cause and effect, it's correlative, and so it's not perfect. But when you look here, there's a, a, a slide, a picture of obesity trends in the United States from 2010, and these were the antibiotic prescription rates in 2010. So it seemed to match very, very neatly here. Uh, and so it, it, it raises the question, oh my gosh, are we just treating our microbiome so horribly and therefore uh, raising our risk for obesity? So one of the things that I always focus on in my practice is trying to avoid unnecessary antibiotics. A lot of antibiotics have their place and they are kind of a miracle of medicine in one way, but at the same time, we've gotten so used to using them that every time we have a cold, we're taking antibiotics and colds a virus. The idea of sinusitis, sinusitis is not something you wanna take uh, antibiotics for in general, because every day, every time you have a cold about, about four or five days in, you'll start to feel a lot of sinus pressure. This is very common in a cold. You should do nasal washes and try to avoid antibiotics. One thing is UTIs. UTIs are very common and, and it's very common to get treatment for this. And so uh, one of the things you can get now are these home UTI test strips 
and they can help to determine whether you're just having some painful urine, you know, bladder spasms from something in the diet, such as citrus or tea or coffee or something like. Sometimes we'll have bladder spasms and it won't be actually a UTI. Uh, so test at home and find out if you're actually having an infection before taking antibiotics. Mild cases of diverticulitis, believe it or not, are actually now being expectantly managed by not taking antibiotics and just, you know, changing the diet from the solids to more of a liquid form. Earaches in kids, this is definitely not a time to do antibiotics. Um, talk to your doctor. Talk to your doctor about the shortest course. A lot of times when doctors will prescribe antibiotics, if the recommendation says five to 10 days, they'll give you the 10 day course because uh, you know, they don't want you to have to come back and, you know, they're trying to be most efficient. So if the, if it says five to 10 days, ask the doctor what the range is. So you can take it for five days, take it for five days. Don't take it on the, the, high, the higher end. Stuff like that. Okay. How do you foster a healthy microbiome? Once again, we try to avoid antibiotics. Eat a diet rich in fiber. Eat a variety of plants. I like to use the idea of how certain pollinators and, you know, the, the diversity of life, you know, certain pollinators will be adapted to a certain flower uh, and they'll be very specific. And so in the same way, we might have type of bacteria in our microbiome that may like different types of fiber on different foods. So the goal is to expand your palate and therefore you would expand the diversity of your microbiome and make it more resilient. Avoid animal products. We know that branched-chain amino acids that are high in, in animal products, their, their breakdown from the, from the microbiome can cause inflammation in the gut. Avoid antibiotics and impossible eat organic and try to avoid foods that are high in pesticides. Okay, this is one of my last slides. One of the things that people say, well, doc, I eat a high fiber diet and then I get bloating and, 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 and I, I'm trying to increase my diet and with fiber. And this is one that always comes up, the idea of cruciferous. And, you know, this is not like Brenda Davis's uh, 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 fiber hierarchy, but this is kind of like that in a way. The cruciferous spectrum is if cruciferous or kale, broccoli, uh, cauliflower and stuff affects you, the concept is to not eliminate, but to modulate. So don't cut it out, just kind of pre-cook it, pre-process it, pre-digest it. Whether it's raw with stems, you cut out the stems and it's just florets and then or steam it or cook it, cook it hard, chop it, or you can even puree it. So it's the concept is increase your variety, always increase, always look for ways to increase as a, instead of eliminate because it will decrease your diversity of food and therefore have an effect on your microbiome. Okay, takeaways. Listen to your bowels. And what is it saying about your lifestyle? We should be having large stools, frequently large and soft stools. Try to take the heavyweight challenge, try to get a half pound of soft stool per day, more than once if possible. Shoot for over 50 grams of fiber. Foster a healthy microbiome, over 30 plants per week. Expand your palate, always look to expand and cut down, don't cut out. Okay. This, I am Dr. Scott Harrington. I run a online practice in 28 states. 
here are the states that I talk. I have insurance. We talked about this. Here are the states that I'm in. No longer in Montana. Sorry, Montana. And that is it. That is all about me and all about poop. OMG. That was such a fun talk, Dr. Harrington. Thank you. I had fun saying it. Okay. The most important question. When you gave this talk on the ship, did you do it on the poop deck? <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I was, no, I was in the I was in the bowels of the ship, deep down. So. Oh, that is so funny. What was that disease you said, Poochilicious or something? Uh, pouchitis. Pouchitis. It's a, uh, you know, it's it's a thing. It's a thing, and and it's related to a blind loop of of colon or bowel where they've had to. Um, sever the bowel and put part of like the small intestines to the wall of the abdomen and do a colostomy bag. Uh, this is so that they can buy time for the trauma to heal and then they can reattach the bowel. Yeah, I, I never heard that before. That's really interesting. And you know, one I, I was actually taking notes, believe it or not, and one of the things I wrote, and this wasn't necessarily about the, the poop, but Sometimes we have bladder spasms, but it won't be a UTI. That's really actually interesting. Could you expound on that a little bit? Okay. All right. This is a big topic and it's, it's a topic that has a lot of gray areas and sort of lack of evidence, but uh, this kind of goes to the idea of bladder spasms and bladder pain and, and many people, especially especially females after menopause, are highly affected by this, and um, it's it's really problematic. Uh, and so, just like the bladder is a uh, a bag that holds stuff until you want to get rid of it, the stomach is a, is similar. And I use the analogy of the stomach because we all know when our stomach is irritated or we don't feel good with our stomach. Uh, I remember as a kid or something eating hideous garbagey like food, you know, but if I felt sick, if I had a bad stomach or something, I couldn't eat that same food. It would upset my stomach even worse. And so this is the concept with the bladder. When the bladder is nice and healthy and it uh, can tolerate things that can um, irritate it normally, but things like citrus, things like carbonated beverages, things like coffee or tea, things like alcohol certain um, citrus, I don't know if I mentioned citrus, these things can uh, sometimes irritate the bladder, but you can tolerate them on sometimes. And sometimes when the bladder is irritated, a, one drop of this stuff makes it into the bladder and then the bladder is squeezing down and irritated. Uh, everyone has experienced the idea of bladder spasms. And this is when you're driving in your car and you gotta pee. And you know, you gotta pee because your bladder's talking to you. Hey, you gotta pee. But then when you pull up to the house, all of a sudden the bladder is like, squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And it's like, oh my God, I got to pee right now. And then you have to run. So everybody seems to uh, have experienced this. And if people have um, bladder spasms routinely, sometimes people, uh, doctors will recommend an elimination diet for these foods that are, are known to irritate the bladder. But this is a, uh, I don't, the science is not perfect yet. And so we don't have um, a, a great evidence about what's the perfect elimination diet. But uh, I think it's the four C's, carbonated beverages, citrus, coffee, and I'm forgetting what the other C is, but um, 
Yes, there is a long list and you try to do an elimination diet and see if it can decrease your bladder spasms. As long as it's not balsamic vinegar, tell me it's not balsamic <laughs> vinegar. <laughs> oh man. Hey, you know, I just wanted to share my results with you. So on the Bristol stool scale, I'm a four. Awesome. <laughs> hey, you know, is it okay if you go over that half pound? Because this, this idea of fecal weight, mine is like one to two pounds. Amazing. Amazing. No, it's totally okay. The half pound is just sort of like a, uh, you know, a line in the sand, so to speak, you know, um, as you saw that uh, the, the higher the stool weight, the faster the transit time. And um, it's a healthier way. And, and that also correlates with the colon cancer risk, the, the higher the stool weight, the lower the risk. So yay. Yeah, this is, this is the goal. I just got kind of putting a number on it, it kind of helps people see it and uh, helps them to compare. That is awesome. So I don't have frequent poops. I will say I eat two meals a day and sometimes I only poop once a day, but it's a big one. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> You're hilarious. Hey, you know, I'm just curious, can people see you in person if they live in your state or that? Yes, yes. So I do, I do telemedicine, but I, um, because of, uh, by popular demand, people wanted to see me in person. And after the, the pandemic was kind of winding down, uh, not raging as badly, we opened up in person. So in Dunedin, Florida and in Pinellas Park, Florida, one day a week. Uh, nice. What, what major cities are those by like, like airports? Well, so you've heard of, uh, Pinellas Park is right next to St. Pete, St. Okay. Peter. Definitely and, uh, St. Pete. And Dunedin is, is a sister city to Clearwater, Clearwater, Florida. It's a big greater Tampa area. Thanks. And uh, Angela wants to know, do you accept Medicare from Florida residents for telemedicine? Absolutely. hundred percent. Nice. All right. Do you want to run through the ones in the chat first or the ones that were previously submitted or you don't really care? I don't care. I bring it on. Family doctor, we try to, we're, we're, I guess, the Jack or Jane of all trades. We try try to know a little bit about everything. Don't don't uh, shoot me if uh, if I don't know the answer, but like to. Well, I'm going to do this one first. And this is from Molly because it's, she's having a PET scan tomorrow. And she's concerned because she's also on the Esselstyn diet, which means she doesn't eat overt fats like nuts, seeds, and avocado. And they're telling her she has to have high protein and not to have carbs to eat the day before. So what do you, what does she eat? Because she's real sensitive to beans and allergic to soy. So how, what, like, is it real important? Like it will to, to how, how important is it to follow what they're saying before a PET scan? I don't know what they're, what they're, I don't know what they're going for there. Uh, and so God, looking, looking for cancer. Yeah. But I mean, what I'm saying is in terms of the meal that she has to eat, if, if for some reason, I, I don't know, if I knew the intent of, of them, of the doctors about why they would have to eat a certain way the day before I could give you the answer, but I, I'm sorry. I still, I don't yeah. know. No, I, I don't know. I guess it's because like, I guess they give her you glucose or something and they, they, I know they don't want you to eat like fruit and sugar and flour and that kind of stuff and alcohol, but they, they just said, you know, low carb, high protein the, the day before. So don't know much about it either. So things like more nuts or something, or, or you could, you know, maybe fast or, uh, you could, you know, there's, uh, um, Greens and yeah, that's what they said. Uh, vegetables, yeah, just shove down those veggies. Non-starchy vegetables all day, you know, for the win. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So here's some fun questions. Uh, da, da, da. Let's see. There's so many. This is people could, because you know why? Because everybody poops. Um, is it okay? This isn't about poop, but you said you would take questions off the poop topic. Um, is it possible to avoid antibiotics if you're having dental surgery? That's kind of, we got to get a dentist on here someday. I know we have to get a dentist. So unfortunately, uh, the, the, the prophylactic uh, recommendations are pretty strong for, for dental surgery. And uh, one of the concerns for, for dental surgery is uh, bacteria showering into the bloodstream and getting onto the cardiac valves. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, the risk is pretty, is, is whenever you're dealing with something, you're going through a risk benefit analysis. And so, yes, it is kind of more rare that you would have some sort of uh, endocarditis related to dental care, but the outcome of getting endocarditis is so horrible that the 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 risk of taking the antibiotics is um, you you want to take the antibiotics to avoid that risk of endocarditis, even though rare it, it's it would be a horrible outcome. Yeah, a cost benefit analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. While I'm searching in the chat, I will take one that was previously submitted by Susan. Dr. Harrington, should I stop taking vitamin B12 and vitamin D anytime before having my blood work done for an annual checkup? No, just don't do, uh, you know, you're supposed to have your labs drawn a lot of times fasting, especially if you're getting your cholesterol or your uh, blood sugar tested, which is most times. So you would fast that day, but you would simply have your supplements the day before or, you know, after you draw your labs. So you, you don't, you don't need to, um, biotin is a big one for, to stop seven days ahead of time. And if you're taking a, a, a special supplements, I would Google them to see if you have to stop before. Uh, and, and so, yeah, but biotin is a well-known one that, um, that you have to take seven days, stop for seven days before. Nice. Uh, Chelsea says on the grain hierarchy, would brown rice and white rice be on the top level? No, no. White rice would be lower. It would be more processed. And so uh, there's, I don't, probably more along the line of flour. Oh, don't say that. I love me my white rice. Oh, so, I mean, if you're having one huge bowel movement a day, at least, you know, I mean, you're probably doing good. You're probably getting way over 50 grams of fiber. So, but yeah, white rice is, uh, is way less fibrous than uh, brown rice. Right. Here's a nice comment from Susanna. I really appreciate that Dr. Harrington can teach us these complicated topics in a way that I can understand. I'm learning so much. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so yep. much. Okay. Here is it. And I really appreciate it when it's anonymous, when they put anonymous first, because I cannot tell you how many times last week I read it. And then the last line was make it anonymous. So thank you, anonymous, for saying in the first line, my name is anonymous. Mm -hmm. I follow a whole food plant-based diet, no SOS for a year. On March 2nd, 2023, I had some strange symptoms. As I was going to Pilates class, I had heart palpitations, heart racing, elevated blood pressure of 158 over 99, quivering and anxious, feeling like I couldn't sit down. I had to pace the floor and I'm not that way normally. Oh my God, this is really, really long. Ugh, I can't read. This is... Um, I'm going to have to put my glasses on. It's, it's like super, super long. Um, I'm not sure. And I'm not sure what the question is that yet. Um, 
this is so so long I, I I'm so sorry but like this like it's like pages and pages and then it um I think she's going to need a, 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 a here's a question in here but it's about a it's a on a different subject can you discuss appropriate iodine levels and symptoms of iodine deficiency we'll take that one but I'm sorry that other really really long one with all the numbers you'd have to get a consult for him to answer all that I mean she's got like like her labs in there you know what I mean well, uh, thanks, Chef AJ. You're, uh, you're, you, you know, you're helping me here and uh, helping me create little uh, snippets of questions I can answer in a short, digestible um, uh, uh, info packets, I guess you could say. But hey, let's talk about iodine. So the the main concern about iodine is thyroid health, and just like iron for hemoglobin, iron is one of the elements that uh, the hemoglobin organic molecule is centered around, and the same way with the thyroid hormone, iodine is an element in the center of uh, thyroid hormone. And so you want to make sure, and iodine is really not in a lot of the foods that we eat. And uh, it's been, it's so bad that uh, uh, before iodine was added to salt and kind of, you know, dispersed throughout the population in this preventative um, way, goiters were very common because it would cause a uh, lack of iodine would cause the, the high, high hypertrophy of the thyroid gland. And so when you go to countries that don't have these types of, um, of uh, nutrient uh, programs, you'll see lots of goiters. And um, one of the things is really popular nowadays is like Himalayan salt or, you know, sea salts and different salts. Um, Artisan, artisanal salts, and they may not be fortified with iron, iodine. And so you, I'm not suggesting that we all be, you know, downing a ton of salt, but the classic Morton's, you know, the lady with the umbrella, it's two pinches of Morton's uh, iodized salt is 150 micrograms. And that's the recommended daily intake for iodine. Uh, and so it's 75 micrograms per pinch, but you can also do it through sea vegetables, through nori, wakame, uh, the seaweed salad, these kind of things. A couple times a week will usually cover your requirement for iodine. And so, or you could have these vegan sushi once or twice a week, uh, miso soup with the, um, I think it's wakame that they put in miso, uh, miso soup, they're very seaweeds. So this is healthy to add to your diet because it will make sure that you manage your iodine levels. You can get an iodine, a urinary iodine test, but oftentimes it's not so important if your thyroid is normal. Great. Thank you. This question, I don't know if you can answer because it's attached with a video and that's not fair to make you watch a video, but it's about, can you ask Dr. Scott Harrington about the placenta of vegans? Apparently there's some video about vegans versus meat eaters placenta. I mean, I could send it to you, but that's a lot of effort on your part to have to watch a video. Now vegan versus, you know, so as far as I know, there should be no concern about a vegan versus meat eating placenta, except the idea that, you know, with the animal products, you could have uh, you worry about uh, incidents of things like hypertension in pregnancy and preeclampsia and all these, you know, kind of concerns. There are some deficiencies that people worry about in pregnant women who eat a vegan diet. So obviously we want to make sure we're getting B12 and DHA. And this, it brings up the idea about DHA and uh, the omega-3s. And uh, this is something that seems to be associated with problems of preterm delivery, low DHA 
in um, in in populate vegan population tends to be low in this, and and so there's correlative data for um, preterm labor uh, related to low DHA, which could be common in vegans. And there's also choline, which gosh, I hate the idea of that, but the National Institutes of Health recommends like 400 uh, milligrams of choline, which is something that tends to be high in animal products. And so in, in prenatal, prenatal uh, vitamins, make sure you have choline and make sure you have DHA. Uh, um, so before, you know, in preconception, before you have, you're pregnant, uh, another thing that you want to make sure is your iron status. You don't want to be anemic going into pregnancy. So if you have the ability and you check, you can see if you're anemic prior to conception, because, uh, you know, it's very hard to raise your iron. So you have to really be active and in, in taking iron supplements or the Floridix or Floravital, the liquid iron. Uh, it's a little bit safer and e easier to tolerate. Those are, those are some sort of preconception advice for folks who are interested in having healthy pregnancy. Terrific. Thank you. And here, is, uh, Renee wants to know if, if she already has a primary and would Medicare still pay for a visit with you? As far as I know, you can see people outside. You could consider me like a consultant uh, uh, and you can be, you can see me as a, as a provider. Uh, and yes, the answer is yes. Terrific. Aaron says, can you talk about enzyme supplements? Enzyme supplements. The, the main, and this actually came up at a previous uh, one. And this is the idea of the biggest concern about enzyme supplements is pancreatic insufficiency and taking pancreatic enzymes. So um, this might not be what you intended as the question, but in terms of enzymes, these are the only ones that, um, that I'm most used to trying to prescribe or talk about. And right now, I, I haven't found a sort of economical way to prescribe these that has the same clinical effect as the FDA-approved uh, pancreatic enzymes. And these are people tend to be people who've had problems with their pancreas or pancreatitis in the past, or uh, you know, uh, is associated with age with pancreatic insufficiency. And then you have malabsorption because your body's not producing enough pancreatic enzymes and then people will have chronic diarrhea. And so this is something that can be tested, a stool test for uh, various um, enzymes and malabsorption. And that's when that would be indicated. The problem is they're very expensive. The FDA approved enzymes are very expensive. And at this time, I haven't found an appropriate alternative to try, try to get people to take as a, um, as a cheaper alternative. Great, thanks. Star says, can you talk about constipation? I used to go three or more times a day and then Christmas happened. I had a light drink. I never drink, got dehydrated. And my sister was, my system was not the same for three months. Okay. Uh, constipation was actually part of the talk, but one of the things I, I left it off. So I would, you know, I wouldn't, I wanted to have time to answer the questions that people were interested in. Uh, and, uh, and, and so here, of course, water intake, and activity, you know, activity causes some uh, movement, just literally with gravity, uh, you can have increased peristalsis and movement of the fecal stream along. Um, the other thing, of course, increasing the fiber, having a huge bulk of stool to help push it along. And then in terms of kind of like a laxative topic, 
Turns out prunes for the win, prunes. You can do six prunes twice a day. It's as effective as most of the standard laxatives and now has become sort of the gold standard for, for laxatives to compare to. Six prunes twice a day, uh, keeps water in the inside the GI tract. Uh, and so that is very important. One of the things, avoiding animal products because the casomorphins and cheese and stuff like that, slowing you down. Another thing, uh, when we travel, when you travel, you leave your colon at home, it feels like. You know, you ever, <laughs> constipation when they travel. I, I know, think and then the minute you get home, man, you have a monster poop. <laughs> I, it's so weird. I, I stay on the same diet, but there's something about, I think, it's when I travel by plane. You know, when I travel by car or train, it's not, but there's something about a plane that just shuts you down, or at least me. I think it, you know, I don't know what the scientific basis is, but I think that the main thing on this is uh, sedentary, being sedentary. I mean, you're sitting, you're waiting, you're sitting, you don't get any of that, you know, gravity action for the in, increased peristalsis and the walking, literally like walking it down. Um, you, and you're kind of dehydrated a lot. You're not drinking a ton because you're trying to avoid going to the bathroom a million times on the plane and and this kind of thing. But the other thing is the idea is that you're not, you're away from your home toilet. And I know my, my, my throne, my home toilet's the best. I've got a bidet, you know, like one of those bidet attachments is awesome. And I recommend that's the best $40 that anybody could spend is to buy a bidet attachment. Um, anyway, so you're away from your, and so you withhold, you withhold and you withhold your stool. And what does the colon do? The colon sucks water out of the stool because that's its, one of its jobs. And then it's harder. And we saw those studies that a hard or lumpy stool is harder for the colon to squeeze it out. So you can, you can do what I call um, a preemptive strike. You can do a preemptive strike. So if you have to travel and you don't really, you, you're not feeling the urge to defecate, you can try to induce, induce an urge to defecate. Um, and this comes from having the stool go from the descending colon down into the rectum. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, it's it's hard to have an urge to defecate if there's nothing there in the chamber to defecate. So you have to kind of get the stool down there. And how do you do that? Well, basically, you can go into like a squatting position uh, and you can kind of balance there and sit there and take very deep breaths. And with the deep breaths, the diaphragm is literally pushing the stool down into the rectum so that you can have an urge to defecate. It has to be relaxed. You, in some of those Burkitt studies, they suggested that the, the folks eating a natural diet could literally defecate on command at will because they were so full of stool. And that, that's really the concept. So you may want to try to do a preemptive strike before you travel. So because withholding the stool and getting hard is a real problem thing and it, it can slow you down, cause more gas and bloating and all that. I love that preemptive strike. Very cool. You, you know, you talked about water and Wendy says, how much water do you recommend drinking daily for weight loss? I have a friend who's drinking a gallon a day. Boy, I don't think I could drink that much. Oh, I know this is, I, I tend to, I tend to avoid this like water off a of duck's back. The, oh, you should drink eight glasses of eight ounces per day or whatever. I, I kind of avoid this because the concept is you shouldn't be that thirsty. I, I mean, if you're eating a diet that's rich in high water content foods, really bulky, and you know, you're not eating a lot of dried and fried foods that had the fiber and the water removed, you should, you should, you know, feel where you want to drink a couple of glasses a day, but you shouldn't be feeling like you're dying of thirst. 
And if you're having a really strong thirst drive, you should be looking back at what you're eating. Like, did I eat something really processed? Did I eat something dried and fried? And was I, um, uh, even things like ice cream and stuff like this is actually a concentrated food and you feel like you have to drink a bunch of water. So, um, yeah, they say six to eight, gla eight ounce glasses of water per day, but I don't, I don't really stick to a, a specific number. I want people to be eating foods that are high in water content so they don't feel like they have to be downing a ton of water. Yep. And that's what you get with the diet that we recommend, especially if you're limiting salt or avoiding it. And right. Right. Absolutely. So Cheryl says, I seem to be sensitive to starches. Can Dr. Harrington comment on the specific carbohydrate diet? That sounds terrible. I know somebody that was on it for, and there's nothing I could eat on that diet. Specific, my, my brain, it just, my brain is smoking right now. It's a, uh, what I tried, can Chef AJ, can you help clarify what that she um, means? I, I'd have to look it up, but I remember somebody that was, that had SIBO told me they were on it and I looked at it and there was like nothing I could eat like from my diet, but um, um, we can go on to another question while I'm looking it up. It's usually oh. some treating it for, for like IBD or IBS or SIBO. So I, I can go into a little bit about FODMAPs and, and, and SIBO. Um, when, when folks have talk, come, come to me with a SIBO, um, I, I get a little worried because, you know, one of the treatments for SIBO is these high dose antibiotics and in the diagnosis of SIBO can be problematic where you do the breath tests and, uh, and they're problematic because if you line people up, you can test a certain amount of people who don't have symptoms and they'll be positive for these breath tests. And so it becomes a very, it becomes confusing. You want to have a diagnosis where you have the ability to do a test and do a treatment and then test again and see a difference. Uh, and so I, I find it problematic because I want to foster a healthy biome. I don't wanna be trying to um, uh, you know, do a scorched earth policy with antibiotics in general. So uh, what I try to have people do is slowly increase their dietary fiber. Now this goes into the idea of FODMAPs. FODMAPs, these fermentable um, uh, different fibers, and this, and this might be there, what they're talking about, the specific carbohydrates. Uh, and so um, one of the problems is this, these elimination diets that go into all these different um, fibers, it's, 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 it's highly, I find it highly problematic. You know, you're eating very constricted palate and you're kind of slowly working it up. It is a way, it is a way, but I would try to um, eliminate, uh, or not eliminate, but modulate a food that you find to be particularly offensive. And that's why I talked about that cruciferous spectrum. So for instance, if you, if, uh, beans are specifically problematic for you, then try to, uh, bring down the, uh, size and make sure they're well cooked and washed and, and this kind of thing. And uh, so modulate, not eliminate. That's, that's kind of the way I handle it. Oh, I love that. Uh, so, but can you be sensitive? She says she's sensitive to, to starch, but you can't be sensitive to all of them, can you? Like butternut squash or things like that. Everything. Right. No, I, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, uh, I, I guess the answer is no. But uh, there are there are foods that are more easily digested. You know, people have like ulcerative colitis and this kind of thing. They really have a hard time, yeah. and so some of the ulcerative colitis protocols will have a squash and sweet potato soup. Mm. And you 
make the squash and sweet potato soup and you zuzz it down and it's it's kind of pre-digested and that gets you on on the way or or fruit juices sometimes they'll even take the fruit juices and kind of get them um uh kind of heat them up till they start to simmer a little bit and you stop and and these are sort of the baseline for an ulcerative colitis type diet people who have really intensely irritated intestines but this is almost a different concept. So the idea of SIBO is bacteria backing up. And what's the, to me, what's the treatment for bacteria backing up is pushing it with fiber, pushing it with a fecal stream that's rich in fiber. So you constantly want to increase the, uh, the fiber and the stool bulk to kind of push, push things forward. Yeah. Ellen says, what do you think of taking Miralax every day? She's afraid to stop. Well, uh, Miralax is an osmotic laxative, is an osmotic laxative. So now that prunes have become the gold standard for osmotic laxatives, you can switch. You can switch to prunes if you want sort of more of a, uh, a cheaper and more natural uh, remedy that works in multiple ways. Now, I mean, the prunes are kind of sweet and they do have a, um, uh, you know, you may not like the taste of them or, or something, but Miralax used to be one of my favorite medicines. My two favorite medicines were Miralax and Zofran, the anti-nausea medicine. Um, not that I'm a big medicine person, but um, Miralax was, is titratable and uh, you can do a little bit or a lot. Uh, one, one dose of, of colorless, odorless powder that you can put in hot or cold liquids is, um, is very safe. Um, but avoid that and go ahead and try a, a whole plant food version of use prunes or other dried fruit. Nice. Angela has an appointment with you lined up. Yay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for the super chat. And Joyce says, uh, I avoid grains altogether, but eat lots of veggies. So how much psyllium husk in water or chia pudding or whole soaked flax seeds in water to supplement fiber intake? Well, um, I have something on that one second. Uh, yeah, this well, I think for uh, for flax, one tablespoon, and uh, you could add uh, like chia pudding, definitely. So I'm uh, just writing, I'm just pulling this up. Thanks for being so patient. Um, the psyllium husk is has a lot of fiber and it is a well-known uh, fiber supplement. And uh, the dose, I, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm feeling flummoxed because I don't remember the dose, but I think it's a small dose. I think it's something like one teaspoon, I believe. That's why I wanted to look it up. Uh, but oftentimes on the back of the, of the product will tell you, um, just do it every day and, and have multiple. And then you'll, uh, if, if you're having problems with constipation, because you can see if they have a synergistic effect. Flummox. It's not a word you hear every day, but it's a great word. All right. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm pulling it up now. It's when I'm zooming. It's a, my my computer is uh, very slow. Yeah. So, oh, it's it's coming. It's here we go. So, helpful fiber. Here we go. Mix in oatmeal, one teaspoon of psyllium husk, Herba Prima psyllium whole husk fiber supplement. Uh, Yep. Uh, versus one tablespoon of ground flax. So psyllium whole husk, herba prima, one teaspoon is the serving size for that. And you can mix it into uh, uh, applesauce or, uh, or in your oatmeal, that kind of thing. Great. Thanks. 
Stephanie says, in your presentation, you talked about processed food, such as turning corn into popcorn. What are your thoughts on air pop popcorn with no butter? See, people like to ask questions and they wait till the, they get the answer they want from a certain doctor, because Dr. Goldhammer and other doctors have talked about this. So let's hear, you know, and they say no. That's well, uh, yes. I mean, you got to love this whole grain hierarchy. And first, you got to love Brenda Davis. I mean, she's always just bringing out, she wrote that book, Nourish, and she just has, she's just dropping knowledge left and right. And it's amazing. And um, I recommend decreasing the amount of, of popcorn that you eat just because it's so highly, you know, the, the particle size is really small and it's really easily digestible. And I found, you know, I'm actually wearing a, uh, a one of those continuous glucose monitor things right now. I was just doing an experiment. I've done it before, but if I find myself going off, I, I put it on, but I find that it really makes my blood sugar go up really, really highly. And, um, and so, and the, I think the reason is because blood sugar will go up due to the glycemic index and it goes up to the glycemic load. And this is basically serving size. So you can eat something with kind of a low glycemic index, but if you're eating a huge serving size, it, it, you're, um, and with popcorn, you just kind of eat it mindlessly. And most it, people, most, they, they say, oh, but it's only 30 calories a cup. How many people actually eat a cup? Right. They're eating the whole thing. And so, you know, I don't want to demonize this because, you know, you got to live your life. But if you're having, if you're, if you're, if, uh, if you're having problems, if you're having health problems, it, it can be, um, on the spectrum of things, it's a pretty good food, low fat, uh, you know, whole, you know, it's a plant. Uh, and so it's not bastardized too much, except that it's popped low particle size and highly absorbable and um, you'll overeat and your blood sugar will spike up. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. This is so much fun, Dr. Harrington. Thank you for coming on and answering questions and guys and go see him. Everybody says he's great. So what do you got to lose? Thank you, Chef AJ. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on here. I love my, your audience. My pleasure. I can't wait to see you next month. Thanks so much, Dr. Harrington. All right. Take care. Thank you. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back at 2 p.m. today when we have the nearly 100-year-old medical doctor who's been on the show before, Dr. John Scharfenberg, and he is going to be talking about foods that reduce or even prevent cancer. Take care, everybody. And don't forget, poop. Bye-bye.